Welcome. It's good to see you today. My name is Gary Manis. I was able to be here to speak last Sunday on the prophet Amos. And this morning, the prophet is Obadiah. We are in the midst of a series, a summer series, entitled Minor Prophets, Major Messages. And when you came in this morning, I hope you noticed that there were the cards out there for each of the different minor prophets. Today's obviously is Obadiah. And the theme of Obadiah is brother's keeper. And the reason it is, is because you can trace what happens and what's prophesied in, about Edom in Obadiah all the way back to Genesis chapter 25 with the birth of a set of twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau became the father of what we know as the Edomites, and they're the ones that are prophesied about in this prophecy from Obadiah. Jacob, whose name was later changed to Israel, became the father of the Israelites. And so these were connected families, connected tribes, and yet as twins, they had a lot of problems, and so did their descendants for time, uh, time on beyond that. I had been surrounded by twins in my life ever since before I was born. Most of you know that Pastor Jeff is a twin, but that's not the first of the twins that I've been associated with. Before I was born, I already had twin uncles and twin cousins. And after I was born, I was the only child for about five years until 1954 when my twin sisters joined me. And here's their picture. That's me with the smiling face there and the bottles in hand. And so I... Uh, I learned to persevere with twin sisters, and uh, finally, after going off to college and leaving them behind, I thought I was done with twins until I married Becky, and in 1974, these twins came into our lives, and here they are. That's Jeff on the right and Jer on the left, and they were usually much happier than that. That was a picture. I don't know why they weren't too happy, but I've been surrounded by twins, and watching the twins grow has been an interesting experience. As they grew, they went through different phases in their lives, but they were always good pals, like this picture right here. Good friends. That's Jeff on the left. That's their seventh birthday. And uh, you notice their hair was quite long. Uh, Jeff's making up for it today by the way he trims his hair. They were, they'd had lots of different phases. Uh, they were fans of different sports teams. Here's one you'll enjoy. I love showing that picture here. That's Jeff on the right <laughs> wearing a Denver Bronco fan. And so, uh, you know, and thankfully, they get out of those phases, and he stopped being a Denver fan somewhere along the line, but they, they never stopped being kids, as this next picture shows you. That's Jeff on the right, and he would say, I want to pump you up, you know. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you're hoping as a parent that they'll finally grow out of it, and they do mature, and they stop being kids. Let's see. Well, maybe. <laughs> Maybe they stopped being kids. Twins. Uh, Esau and Jacob didn't get along like Jeff and Jer do. Jeff and Jer still communicate every day. They're very close, and I'm thankful for that. Jacob and Esau were, were totally opposite. They were very different. In fact, in their home, they were treated differently. 
Isaac, their father, preferred Esau. He was his favorite. Rebekah, their mother, preferred Jacob. And I'll tell you one thing, if you don't get anything else this morning, that's a problem. That's a problem. If you have, quote, your favorite child, you have just opened yourself up for a lot of grief and your children as well. Well, when they were older, Esau had been out hunting. He came back in and was very hungry. In fact, he said he was about to starve to death. Jacob had made some stew. Jacob spent some time around where he cooked and, and the stew was red. And Esau said, give me some of that stew. I'm, I'm about to die. And Jacob said, well, I'll give it to you if you'll give me the right of the first, firstborn son. Firstborn son was really important. Double portion of all the father's wealth. And so Esau says, what good does it do me if I die now? I'm dying from hunger. So he said, okay, I'll give it to you. And he gave him that stew and Esau ate it. And because the stew was red, that's where we get the name Edomites. Edom means red. And so that's where it came from. A little bit later on, when their father Isaac was nearing death, he said, I want to give a blessing to my eldest son Esau. And so he told Esau to go out and hunt get some of the game that his father loved to eat, bring it back, prepare it in the way he wanted it prepared, and he would give him a, the special blessing that would go to the firstborn. Well, Rebekah hears about it, and she and Jacob conspire to deceive Isaac. And so they do that. They deceive Isaac by taking a goat, preparing it in his favorite dish, taking the goat skin, putting it on Jacob's arms on the back of his neck, putting on Esau's clothes, he goes in, and Isaac can't see very well. He's suspicious, but in feeling the skin and in smelling the clothes, he feels like it's Esau. He blesses Jacob with Esau's blessing. Esau comes in soon after that. I'm here, Father. Here's the game. Here's the meal I prepared for you. Give me the blessing. And Isaac said, I can't. The blessing's already been given. And so Esau hated his brother Jacob, so much so that Jacob had to be sent away for fear that his brother Esau would murder him. The Edomites and the Israelites went in somewhat different directions. In fact, the Israelites wound up in Egypt in captivity. And when they were delivered and God let Moses bring them out of captivity. Do you know what happened with the Israelites and the Edomites? They were just out of Egypt, the Israelites were, and they said to the Edomites, we want to pass through your land. And the Edomites said, no way, not passing through our land. Well, it, we, won't, we won't eat anything. If our animals drink any water, we'll pay you for it. We'll stay on the main road. And the Edomites said, no way. You see, that which had begun with Jacob and Esau continued on with their descendants. And so today, Obadiah is our focus. It's not just about twins, though. In fact, it's far more than that. Let's look at Obadiah. There's only one chapter, 21 verses. It's the shortest of the minor prophets. Look at verse 1 of Obadiah. This is the vision that the sovereign Lord revealed to Obadiah concerning the land of Edom. These are the descendants of Esau. We have heard a message from the Lord that an ambassador was sent to the nations to say, Get ready, everyone. Let's assemble our armies and attack Edom. 
This is one of the few minor prophets or few of any of the prophets that has no message of hope for the people to whom it was prophesied. No hope is given in these verses that Obadiah prophesies about a hope for restoration from Edom. God in grace, that's really the theme I want to look at this morning. God in grace had given them centuries of opportunity to respond to his truth, to respond to his call, to respond to his amazing mercy, love, and grace that we sang about this morning. I was, I've often heard different acrostics for the word grace. This one came to my mind this week. I'm not sure that everybody would agree with it, but I like it in relationship to what we're looking at today, and that's this. Take the letters of grace and make it into this phrase. God reaching and calling everyone. That's grace. God reaching and calling everyone. So the big idea of the day is really this. God willingly offers grace to everyone. That's the good news. Here's the sad news. But not everyone is willing to receive it. Isn't that sad? When you see and think about all that God does, how he has gone out of his way to provide opportunity for us to know him, to provide entrance into his family and into his kingdom. He sets things in front of us that would open our eyes, and yet there are still those who would say no to his grace. So the big question today is this. Why would anyone refuse God's grace? You see, Esau and Jacob were surrounded by God's grace. Just like I have been since before I was born, since you have been since before you were born, we are surrounded by God's grace. But when God reaches, there's always a response. Ultimately, Jacob, Israel, received the grace of God. But sadly, ultimately, Esau rejected the grace of God. And in this particular account that is given about Edom, Esau's descendants, I, th I think we can see three things that can, be a that can be a cause of someone rejecting God's abundant grace. Look at verses 2, 3, and 4. The first one is pride. Pride. The Lord says to Edom, I will cut you down to size among the nations. You will be greatly despised. You have been deceived by your own pride because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high up in the mountains. Who can ever reach us way up here, you ask boastfully. But even if you soar as high as eagles and build your nest among the stars, I will bring you crashing down, says the Lord. Pride. You see, the pride of Edom was we don't need God. Where they lived, their national, their capital was Petra. Petra, also known as Stone, was up in the hills, and the only access to it at that time was through a very, very narrow canyon. Made it really easy to defend. They had the high ground. They had the opportunity to funnel any opposing, attacking army into that narrow canyon and defeat them. They didn't need God, and neither did Esau. In fact, when you look at 
the Old Testament, you will not find one mention of an Edomite god. Now, they may have had them, but there's no mention of them. Why? Because they were proud. We don't need God. We're strong. We can take care of ourselves. And unfortunately, there are so many people that find themselves in the same situation. Good people, but people who don't know God or don't believe they need to know God because they can take care of themselves. The Edomites, just like their forefather, Esau, were on their own. They needed no God. Pride. When Adam and Eve made the tragic mistake in the garden, chose to disobey God, something began to birth in them that produced pride. We don't really need God, or we can be like God and do the things that God does. All of their descendants, including us, are born into this world with an inclination to spontaneously distrust God. That's what we're born with. We distrust him. We don't need him. We can do better than he, than he can do for us. We've got our own plan. And so that's the, the, one of the reasons why people would reject God's grace, pride. I simply don't need God. There's a second thing I see here too. And it's from, again, the Edomites and traces back to Esau. Why would someone reject God's grace? Priorities. Priorities. Look at verses 5 and 6. If thieves came at night and robbed you, what a disaster awaits you. But note this. They would not take everything. In other words, they're, go they're not going to have time to get all your stuff. They're going to leave some stuff behind. Those who harvest grapes always leave a few for the poor. But your enemies will wipe you out completely. Every nook and cranny of Edom will be searched and looted. Every treasure will be found and taken. Priorities. Esau was so focused on the here and now that he was willing to sell his right as a firstborn for a bowl of stew. He was so zeroed in on what this life had to offer that he had no regard for what the next life would bring. And there are many, many people just like that. They're good people, often, but they're caught up with the things of this world. And listen, I'm not preaching against having things. I love things. I, you know, I'm thankful for every good thing that God gives to me and gives to us. Some of the richest people in all of history have been followers of God. So this is not about that. But the problem arises when our priorities get off of God and onto the things that God has created, the things that God has given to us to enjoy. Esau chose the here and, here and now, and it appears that his descendants did too. He wanted what he wanted when he wanted it. Ever been there? That's the way most of us are in our lives at one point or another. We want what we want when we want it, and usually it's now. I was so frustrated this week. We were uh, in, a, in the drive through line at McDonald's. Yes, I go to McDonald's. And, and we pulled in, there was one car on the first side and one car on the second side, and so we pulled in behind the second one. And we sat, and we sat, and we sat while one, two, three, four cars went through line number one. I'm thinking, what is going on here? 
And so I'm saying to Becky, this is ridiculous, you know. And she said, well, it'll be okay, you know. She's always good at trying to bring me down. We left McDonald's, and we drove over to uh, Chick-fil-A, and we got in their line. And I picked the line that looked to be the shortest, although they both merged together. And then we sat. And I'm telling you, we sat for 15 minutes and didn't move. By that time, I was thinking, man, uh, you know, I can't deal with this. My priorities were all out of whack. Maybe that's why God brought me to preach this message this morning. I need to get my priorities back in order. We eventually got our stuff, and, and F- Becky finally said to me, what's the matter with you today? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I just, just don't feel very good. Priorities. So many times we can get so focused on the things of this world that we forget where our real priority is, and that's in knowing Jesus and walking with him. Why would anyone, why would anyone reject God's grace? Pride. Don't need God. Priorities. Too busy with the things that really matter to me. But there's a third one as well, and I see it in verses 10 through 14. That's prejudice. Prejudice. Look at what they did or didn't do for their kinsmen, the Edomites and the Israelites. Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. What had happened was this. After the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrians, in a few years, the southern kingdom of Judah was overrun by the Babylonians. And when the Babylonians came to to attack the city of Jerusalem, the Edomites, who were close neighbors, stood back and watched to see who would be victorious. And when it became clear that the Babylonians were going to win, they jumped in and sided with the Babylonians against their kinsmen, the Israelites, so much so that we'll read here that they even turned in some of the ones that were trying to escape to the enemy army. Look at verse 11. When they were invaded, you stood aloof, refusing to help them. Foreign invaders carried off their wealth and cast lots to divide up Jerusalem. But you acted like one of Israel's enemies. You should not have gloated when they exiled your relatives to distant lands. You should not have rejoiced when the people of Judah suffered such misfortune. You should not have spoken arrogantly in that terrible time of trouble. You should not have plundered the land of Israel when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have gloated over their destruction when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have seized their wealth when they were suffering such calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads, killing those who tried to escape. You should not have captured the survivors and handed them over in their terrible time of trouble. Wow. They were from the same family. Their ancestors had been brothers, raised in the same home, the same heritage. Their grandfather, Jacob and Esau, was Abraham, the father of the faithful, the one to whom the three major religions of the world today look back with reverence. The Islamic people, they revere Abraham. The Jews look back to him as the founder of their faith. Christianity looks back to him as the founder of the faithful. That's the home these boys were brought up in with Papa Abraham, 
being around. And Isaac, the child of promise. And yet look at what happened. Prejudice. Pride and prejudice caused them to care only about themselves. We don't care about our brothers. We don't care about other people. We're only interested in what we need. We only want what we want. You see the danger of that? Why would anyone reject God's grace? Pride. Don't need God. Priorities? He's just not that important in the scheme of things in my life. Prejudice? I don't care about other people. It's only about me. I've got to take care of myself. And I, I feel like I can do that best on my own. Grace. I have been surrounded by grace since before I was born. You have been surrounded by grace since before you were born. The grace, God reaching and calling everyone, requires a response. And so this morning, as God is reaching out to us, it requires a response. Will, will I, will you, like Jacob, receive God's grace and walk with him? Or will I or you, like Esau, reject God's grace and go my own way to my own peril and, per and the peril of my descendants? There's a great verse on grace over in 2 Peter, the New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 3. It's talking about God's patience in the light of man's understanding of time. 2 Peter chapter 3. We have a couple of verses I want to read. They'll be on the screen for you, beginning at verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some people think. In other words, some people think, well, why isn't He coming? Why isn't He here? Well, He's not being slow. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Does that sound like grace? Sure does to me. He's being patient. He's waiting. He wants people to have an opportunity to respond to his call to repentance, to salvation, and to grace. But notice the very first phrase of verse 10. It always brings me up short when I read it in conjunction with verse 9. It says this, But the day of the Lord will come. Did you see that? But the day of the Lord will come. You see, we can get so accustomed to thinking that God's grace is going to give us all kinds of time that we'll put off a decision thinking we've got a long life to live. Or we may think that after I take care of these priorities in my life, then I'll respond to God's grace. Or after this happens or that happens, then I'll respond to God's grace. In preparing for this message, I was doing some reading in a little Bible study book on the minor prophets. Each chapter, is just in a very short chapter, just gives a little bit of an insight into each of the prophets. And when I read this from Obadiah, I thought to myself, I've got to read this this morning. You need to hear this because it speaks so strongly to the two verses that we just read. Listen to what it says. God's eagerness to forgive can lead us to believe that he does not abhor sin. He does. 
God's incredible patience might cause us to think that there will always be more time to set our lives in order. There won't. The abundance of God's blessing may create the impression that we ourselves have unlimited resources and power. We don't. God willingly offers grace to everyone, but not everyone is willing to receive it. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, in just a moment, we're going to give an opportunity for people to respond to your grace. Lord, you brought us to this day, to this message, to this truth for a reason. And I pray, Lord, that every person in this room this morning to whom you have been calling, reaching, and who has yet has not spoken the yes to you, that this would be the time. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, with your head still bowed, if you're here this morning, maybe it's the very first time you've ever heard about God's grace. Maybe you've heard about it hundreds of times, but you know that you have not responded and said, yes, Lord, thank you for calling me. Thank you for receiving me. Thank you for forgiving my sin, starting me off with a new life in you, writing my name in your book of life, then this is your opportunity. I'm going to pray a prayer in a moment. And if you want to repent, turn from the way of sin and turn to Christ, if you want to respond to the call of God today in grace, you pray this prayer with me. You can pray it right in your own spirit, in your mind. And as you pray it, God will hear and God will work. This is the prayer. If you need to pray it, say it with me. Father in heaven, thank you for grace. Grace that reaches to where I am today. Grace enough that Jesus died for my sins on Calvary's cross. Grace that I was here today to hear your call again. And today, Lord, right now, I confess my sin to you. I acknowledge that I've sinned, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you died and rose again, and that you are preparing a place for me and all who trust in your name. Father, Right now, I open the door of my heart. I ask you to come in, forgive my sin, give me a new start spiritually, write my name in the book of life, and walk with me from this day forward as I walk with you. Thank you for what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you look up here just a moment? If you prayed that prayer this morning, that's the greatest decision you could ever make. And we want to celebrate with you when you do that. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that, again, will take God's grace. God calling, God enabling. If you prayed that prayer, would you just hold up your hand this morning and say, I prayed that prayer. Amen. Praise the Lord. Any others? 
Amen. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Let, let me pray for you. What a great delight to be here today to share about Obadiah. Twins? Yeah. Grace better. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these who have responded to your grace today. Lord, we're surrounded by it. I pray you'll continue to reach and call everyone. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.